0: Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com/slash Bluewire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey Rotoviz Radio Listener, this is Curtis Patrick from the Dynasty Command Center Podcast. And I've got a special deal for you today. Go to rotoviz.com.
1: Welcome into the Fantasy Football Mailbag, a Rotoviz podcast. This is our second episode here of the 2021 season. And as always, we are dedicated to answering all of those fantasy football questions. I'm your host, Mike Randall. Please follow me on Twitter at RandallRan. And today we have a czar, one of the Yodas of the fantasy football community, Pat Fitzmorris, He's been killing it over at footballgirl.com. Now he's at Football Guys as well. One of the elite top rankers in all of fantasy football at a five-year period, one-year period, century-long period. It doesn't matter with my friend Pat Fitzmorris. Follow him on Twitter at Fitz underscore FF. Pat, how you doing, man? Great to have you back.
2: Hey, Mike, great to be back. Uh, we have not chatted for a while but i felt like you were there right with me by my side when i was uh making all those bets during march madness and you're just feeding me (laughs) winner after winner uh you know i i kind of miss handicapping my own games but i don't really see the point i mean that was fun but it's more fun to watch my online sportsbook account grow so uh yeah you were you were really appreciated during the month of march i can tell you that much
1: you know, it's funny. They go up and they go down, but March was good for me. I, I admit. I'm glad. And I, I, that's just a small, small token of giving back what you give me here in the fantasy football community. So I, I appreciate it. And we are in mourning right now, Pat, because of our Bucks. They are down 2-0 to the Nets here. Brooklyn Nets I actually attended a game this weekend. So it's a little bit of a frustrated mailbag, folks. Maybe we'll get some more hot takes, huh, Pat? Bucks not looking good so far.
2: Yeah, not at all. Uh, You know, there's you can blame shots not going in or something if you maybe lose by uh, 15, 16. But uh, when you lose by 40, the excuses aren't really plausible. So, uh, yeah, back to the drawing board, hopefully, and, and they get it figured out in Milwaukee. But, man, it's it's looking bleak.
1: All right, well, let's get your react and your in-depth analysis here. One of the best, of course, fits. And we'll start with Julio Jones, of course. The Julio Jones fallout had Connor Allen on last week. We were talking about it. It did not drop. It's always my fear because we're recording this on a Tuesday. Pod drops on a Friday that something major is going to break. It did not break until after that. But we get to hear your take here. Julio Jones leaving Atlanta, going to Tennessee. What do you think?
2: Yeah, so much to unpack here. I mean, I, I guess we should start with the Tennessee wide receivers. And, um, you know, I don't think it really fundamentally changes the way I think about Julio himself. He was always going to be kind of a mid-level wide receiver, too, for me. Uh, you know, getting a little older, I think we almost have to factor in a couple of missed games a year now. And, and you know, some injury scares other times when you're going to see him on the report all week and worry about his availability. Um, and so now he goes to this place where as with Atlanta, you know, he's got a, another really good wide receiver, uh, joining him. And so, yeah, I've got him there. What, what I kind of find interesting is the, uh, AJ Brown takes, it seems like a lot of people are disinclined to really move him at all. And I don't quite get that. I mean, I, I definitely think, Even though it's a skinny target tree in Tennessee now and, you know, Julio and A.J. Brown are going to combine for a massive share of the targets there, that's still a major target vacuum to share with for A.J. Brown. And, uh, you know, I I couldn't keep him in the top 10 after I kind of Mm -hmm. looked at it carefully and I've got him kind of down now in like low-end wide receiver one territory. I think I've got them wide receiver 12, kind of with like Allen Robinson, Terry McLaurin, guys who really are true alpha receivers and uh, don't have the sort of target competition from a, another clutch receiver. And I know some people have said that Tennessee's defense is really bad and and they might have to get into more shootouts, but – I don't know. It's going to be hard to abandon that running game completely with Derrick Henry when that's so effective at, and I know this is something we make fun of on fantasy Twitter of keeping, uh, you know, opposing offenses off the field, but you kind of can do that when you run the ball like Tennessee, sometimes it works. And uh, you know, it's not like I don't trust Mike Vrabel at all to, uh, you know, manage a defense, even though they really haven't added that much in the off season to a defense that was kind of a sieve against the pass last year. Um, So, yeah, I don't think both of those guys are going to be wide receiver ones in this offense. Uh, And I I sort of love what it does for Henry. I mean, it makes the overall offense more explosive, adds to the touchdown outlook, should keep him safely in the double digits. And, you know, who knows, things break right. He could push for 17, 18 touchdowns. Um, Yeah, it's just bound to make him a more efficient runner. Because there's no way that defenses are going to be packing the box when you can put AJ Brown and Julio Jones out there together.
1: You know, you hit a lot of key points. This is such a great case study for fantasy football, right? Because people are gonna say, hold on, now they can't the defense can't concentrate on on AJ Brown because Julio's there. But the flip side to that is they were a low passing volume offense to begin with. So I I agree with you. I think it helps Henry because I think the offense is more explosive which gives them more chances to score touchdowns, which gives Henry more chances. And if they end up leading and being a successful team that has positive game script, that also helps Henry. So it secures Derrick Henry to me, but I cannot ignore what he's going to do to A.J. Brown. I agree. A.J. is still super efficient. He's been super efficient on lower target shares than some of the people you mentioned. But I agree. I think it hurts A.J. Brown a little bit And I don't buy the idea that if he was the absolute number one wide receiver in Tennessee, now that that Julio's there, that's not going to hurt his target share at all. I can't get there.
2: Yeah, amen to that. Uh, So I know most people still have him as a top 10 receiver. I don't, which kind of sucks because one of the exquisite pleasures of watching NFL football is watching A.J. Brown after the catch. And it's even more exquisite, I guess, when he's on one of your fantasy teams. So I'm probably not going to have that pleasure – Uh, This year, I'm just going to have to settle for, you know, watching him destroy people after the catch. And uh, that's still going to be fun. Obviously, this helps Calvin Ridley. I think it pushes him into the top five at receiver. Uh, You know, a guy who was pushing for wide receiver one value or maybe already there before the trade now gets this alpha share. And we've really seen in games where Julio hasn't played the target share spike and the, the numbers really spike for Ridley. Uh, you know, obviously there was a lot of excitement for Kyle Pitts anyway, and that's uh j- going to turn into flat-out mania here. Uh, I think you're going to start seeing him go in the top four, r- really right behind Kelsey, Kittle, and Waller. Going to be interesting to see what it does to some of the other targets, and I think Russell Gage is a guy who probably has, you know, wide receiver four value now, maybe. I think I've got him up at, like, wide receiver 56, or something like that, you know, certainly rosterable. And, uh, you know, maybe a chance for guys like Frank Darby, a rookie who my football guy's colleague, Matt Waldman, really likes. Uh, Zaccheaus might be playable. Yeah, I mean, a guy who was really kind of a a sneaky, like darling of some people in the fantasy uh, fantasy circles last year, and now is going to maybe get a chance to be a, a much bigger contributor and get a lot more snaps.
1: The one clear winner to me is Calvin Ridley. So in 2019, he had 15 fantasy points per game. He was wide receiver 18, and that had some spike weeks. Last year, 15 games, 18.6 fantasy points per game. He was fourth. He's number one, folks, in air yards. He ended up with 143 targets, and now they're losing Julio Jones. Didn't play full season, Julio Jones, but that's huge. And you talked about Kyle Pitts. Pat, I have been on Twitter. I did not understand what they were doing. They restructured Atlanta Matt Ryan's contract. Then they end up drafting a tight end fourth overall, which is extremely high that we ever seen for a tight end. I'm like, how are they going to build the offense around him? I did not like the pick. They're trading Julio. But you know what? For fantasy folks, you have to be fluid. You can't have take lock. I don't see a way now that Kyle Pitts is not a top five tight end, Pat, because he's going to be the clear number two target. Gage, Zacchaeus, all these guys, fine. But they just put him as their top pick, fourth overall pick. They end up losing Julio Jones. He's going to be involved. He's going to get the targets, Kyle Pitts. And even though I did not like the pick, it's now looking for fantasy like Kyle Pitts is a top tight end option.
2: Yeah, uh, and a guy who... I mean, has these freaky athletic skills, a uh, wingspan bigger than Calvin Johnson's. Who's not just not just an empty physical tool set either. We saw this guy make plays on the ball at Florida just repeatedly, and uh, so exciting to watch when he was in college. And yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to really deny it either. I'm kind of debating between him and TJ Hawkinson as my tight end four. You know, one of those guys is going to be four and one is going to be five, but. Uh, Yeah, you're probably going to start seeing him go like sneaking into the late fourth round in redraft leagues, home leagues, at least. It would not surprise me.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast.
1: I've been doing, as you know, I do way too many best ball leagues, uh, FFPC, underdog, everything. OK, so right now I'm in a league that's about to start. So I'm, I'm giving you this question because I'm selfish and because I want your answer. Where do you pick Travis Kelsey? I find it to be extremely polarizing because he's fantastic. He's elite, but he's still a tight end. And if you invest that much draft capital in fantasy football like an FFPC, even more it's tight end premium, right? 1.5 per reception. You better hit it. Because if you don't, you're missing out on a first-round running back. You're missing out on a top-wide receiver. But if you do get it, Travis Kelsey could give you a ton of value. So where do you place Travis Kelsey in best ball formats, either tight end premium or regular? How do you factor that in?
2: So I think for tight end premium, I would draft him at about tight end five, tight end six. Um, And I know sometimes people tend to overestimate the – uh, the effect of tight end premium. But in this case with Kelsey having been so bankable and, and leading all tight ends in fantasy scoring for what now, I like six straight years. Uh, it's hard to deny his value there, especially when the wide receiver, the elite wide receiver tier has dried up on us a little bit. Uh, you know, there's ambiguity with Devontae Adams because of the Aaron Rodgers situation. Um, You know, Stefan Diggs was great, but can he pull off an encore? Uh, Tyreek Hill is a little inconsistent week to week. I mean, he has those big splash weeks, but uh, yeah, I mean, I I think you can make the case for taking Kelsey over really any of the wide receivers and, you know, all but a handful of the top running backs. So um, I like him in the middle of the first round there and in a, a regular like an MFL 10 or something like that. I think he kind of belongs in the back of the first round, maybe 11th overall or so. Um, I don't know about you, Mike, but I, I kind of hate my team build when I go for a tight end in the first round. I agree. I it agree. seems like you're playing catch up at wide receiver and, and running back for the rest of the draft. And, uh, you know, that does kind of irk me. So I, I kind of like being put in situations where I'm not faced with that dilemma. But, uh, yeah, I with Kelsey you can certainly justify it i mean maybe as he starts to get into his 30s here uh you know we'll we'll see some slippage but man no signs of it yet
1: for some reason as great as Kelsey was people have overlooked the greatness of Darren Waller Darren Waller last year 1161 air yards he was second targets he had more targets waller 146 than kelsey did he ended up having nine touchdowns which was third and 107 receptions as a tight end first and i don't think they really added a ton john brown i guess but are we sort of overlooking waller in this whole thing when kelsey is really revered waller's almost right behind him they're almost pat in the same sort of tier no
2: Yeah, agree, and you make a really good point about that. I don't know if he's necessarily the second-best tight end in terms of talent and ability. Like, he's great. I mean, I might rather have Kittle there, but Kittle also shares targets with Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk, and uh, there's really not that much at wide receiver for the Raiders. I mean, they actually lost Nelson Aguilar. You know, maybe Henry Ruggs plays a bigger role. Maybe Brian Edwards plays a bigger role. But, you know, Waller is still the king target there. So yes, I mean, you make a really good points and uh, I'm probably going to have to move Waller ahead of Kittle in my rankings. I should have already done it probably. And, and, you know, it seems only logical that he would be number two.
1: And Kittle's been consistent as well. It just shows you how those top tight ends can Pitts get in there. That's what it's going to be the question this year, because he's consistently the fourth guy in that group. More importantly, Pat on your margarita salt or no salt.
2: Oh, uh, you know, I got a, a quote Warren Zevon from Desperados Under the Eaves." All the salty margaritas in Los Angeles, I'm going to drink them up. Um, I mean, honestly, Mike, I'm not too choosy when it comes to margarita. I used to kind of just get the pre-mixed stuff and I'd be too lazy to salt the glass, just a little ice. And, uh, you know, nothing, nothing slushy, but otherwise I'll take a, uh, you know, craft margarita at a high-end Mexican restaurant, or I will take something uh, out of the, the, the pre out of a big jug and I'm happy, but yeah, I prefer salt now.
1: I'm with you. A little pick me up here. We're getting to the summer. I'm thinking of the pool pad. I'm thinking of margarita sitting back, you know, looking at RotoViz stuff, look at trying to research my players. I want salt on that margarita. So I agree with you. <laughs> You're in the know. You're out in Milwaukee area, Pat. What's the deal with Aaron Rodgers? Is he going to play this year? Is he not? I have found in doing research, I use the His Game Splits app, you know, Devontae Adams has not been targeted a ton less when Aaron Rodgers has not been the quarterback. Now, of course, he's not going to be as efficient, but he certainly is targeted as much. But of course, Aaron Rodgers is going to affect the entire offense. He's going to affect Devontae Adams, particularly in the red zone. So, what is the update here? Do you think he's going to be traded? Do you think he'll be the quarterback or do you think he's going to host Jeopardy? What's up with Aaron Rodgers?
2: I tend to, and I'm not, I'm trying not to let my hacker fan bias get in the way here i do tend to think he's going to play after sort of uh holding out and making his statement through his uh i guess through his action his inaction since he's really not saying too much about it i, I guess what ultimately makes me think they are not going to trade him is the possibility well team structure works into it I mean, Mike, I'm actually an owner of the Green Bay Packers. I got a, a stock got certificate a boy, yes. yeah, for yes. uh, a birthday from my dad like 20 years ago or something like that. But they've got a general manager who I think would have to get his team president, Mark Murphy, on board. Brian Gutekunst and Mark Murphy would have to be in agreement on that. And I think... They would have to get some sort of consensus among the executive committee, which is a a seven-man, seven-person subset of a 40-some-person board of directors. And to let a second Hall of Fame, walk-in Hall of Fame quarterback leave under unhappy circumstances, I think would take more than just the unilateral decision of one person to pull the trigger on a trade. That's a great point. I think that's going to make it kind of uh, cumbersome for them to pull it off. And I don't know if there's enough vitriol uh, with Aaron Rodgers toward Brian Gutekunst that he would, you know, sort of betray his teammates a little bit and a fan base that's been pretty supportive over the years. Uh, I think he's ultimately going to show up. I think he's ultimately going to play this year in Green Bay. And then we'll kind of be right back to where we are next spring with the same storyline.
1: The way you put it that way, I totally get it. You're gonna let a second walk in Hall of Fame guy leave under un, you know, sort of not positive conditions. That that's gonna to be tough for any front office. So hopefully we get him on the field. It's better when he's on the field. And he, God, he's done it with limited wide receiver help. Although I will tell you in best ball, I was happy with Marquez Valdez Scantling as my last round pick last year. Twenty eighth, you know, he drops some, but he catches some too, Pat, and that that's good for best ball certainly.
2: Yeah, he's he's the ultimate all or nothing guy. He's a great late round pick in best ball again this year too.
1: You know we're zero RB fans here at Rotaviz. This year, more modified zero RB. I would say that's the build that I've used most often. I don't like starting running back, running back, even though there's there's a lot of credence to it because I I want to get the the DK Metcalf. I, I want you know, and then DK, and then Cooper Cup, and a Rob, and things like that. So I want to get your thoughts here on some zero RB targets because usually even if you go with the modified, you're going to have to find a late round running back, which last year you hit on James Robinson, things like that. Everything falls into place. And we always look because of JJ Zachary, we look at these muddled backfields for sort of late round running back value. Let's start in Miami. I don't know if it's muddled, but for some reason, Pat Miles Gaskin is not getting the respect of these other running backs that really had super efficient years last year. Some people are thinking he's a Justin Forsett, one-year sort of guy. I don't know about that. I I think that offense is going to be good in Miami with two and now a, a full year. You know to start as as the starting quarterback there with upgraded weapons. What do you think of Miles Gaskin as, as a later round running back here, potential RB1 in 2021?
2: Yeah, I'm uh I I grew to be a big fan of his game last year and it was kind of cool to see the Dolphins uh be willing to give him sort of a heavy load and uh you know not think about it that much and I remember that game late in the year I want to say it was against the Raiders where he was a little banged up and they started I think Salvan Ahmed ahead of him and Ahmed really wasn't getting it done and they brought in uh Gaskin and he just went berserk and that was a, a in the fantasy playoffs for some people I want to say maybe week 14 um so yeah they we thought it was inevitable that Miami was going to add something in the draft at running back. They really didn't. I mean, Jared Dokes, who was like a seventh rounder. Uh, so it's just Ahmed and Malcolm Brown now behind uh, Gaskin. And we saw that, you know, Malcolm Brown is kind of just a guy. Uh, Ahmed, decent passing down kind of back, but it does seem like it's Gaskin's backfield. And yeah, he's pretty cheap. That's uh, a very affordable, running back one, I think for a, an offense that could be improved. So I'm very much on board with him.
1: I love looking at teams that are not projected to be strong, to have sort of that value. Let's head down to Jacksonville, Urban Meyer's in, nobody knows how good they're going to be. Some people think that better, certainly going to be more improved than, than social media is thinking, but that's an odd backfield. You have James Robinson, the undrafted free agent who had, had a fantastic year last year, just opportunity share among the elite running backs. But then Meyer comes in. Of course, they draft draft Travis Etienne, who has the connection there with with Trevor Lawrence, and he's a superb receiver, but he's going to be – certainly he's been played at receiving, so there's some argument whether he's going to be catching passes out of the backfield or whether he's going to actually be lining up in, let's say, the slot. And then, of course, Urban Meyer was fantastic to tell us. I think we have a great group of running backs, and he included Carlos Hyde in that, which I think is the most damning thing for James Robinson. So do you find any value? And if so, anything there? Who's the guy in Jacksonville? I do, and I like that the ambiguity is sort
2: of holding down the price in ETN. Uh, Really terrific running back prospect. I think like his his not uh, completely knock your socks off last year at Clemson sort of held that down a bit. But, uh, you know, in the two years prior, he was just amazing. And um, that versatile skill set, the open field skills that you love to see in an nfl prospect he would have been my number two running back in last year's class behind jonathan taylor i don't know if that would have been the right call i mean we saw pretty good results from some of the other uh rookies in that class but yeah i think he's terrific uh i don't think they brought him into you know be a backup to james robinson and i like james robinson a lot i I took him in a couple dynasty startups and was delighted last year with him in the, the 25th or 26th rounds and um great pick yeah and it's just i think people are going to be a little too slow to drop robinson in their rankings and a little too slow to elevate etn so i think the value is going to be with etn um you know and i I think hyde kind of is going to further torpedo robinson uh i think hyde puts more of a dent in robinson than he does in etn so um yeah. I like love ETN at the price right now. And I'm probably not going to have too much of the other two guys.
1: Can you give me therapy? I need therapy here. Fantasy football therapy would fits on Josh Jacobs. I, I just struggle to get on board with him. He has the rookie season. He did not have the workhorse profile at Alabama. So I was hesitant. They are going into 2019 bangs out 1100 yards, seven rushing touchdowns, solid season in 13 games only catches 20 passes. Then you hear the stuff about Gruden saying, oh, he's frustrated that Jacobs didn't get rookie of the year over Kyler Murray, so this year we're going to feed him. We're going to feed our guy. But what does he do? He has less rushing yards, only a little bit over 1000, 1065 in 15 games. So two more games last year. He does catch 33 receptions as opposed to 20, but no receiving touchdowns either year. And they bring in Kenyon Drake, who was a really good receiving back. Then last year didn't really get a lot of passes, but you would think if you bring him in, you're going to use him. So the question is more about the Raider backfield as a whole. I think Kenyon Drake has some value because I'm not buying into Josh Jacobs as your traditional lead running back. Put me in therapy or put me on the couch. Tell me what the issue is.
2: It's almost like we got this weird bait and switch with Josh Jacobs, Mike. I mean, we liked him coming out of Alabama for the seemingly versatile skill set he had. And the the question was the fact that he had shared with Damian Harris and Najee Harris this workload. We didn't know if he could... uh, you know, take the full pounding in the NFL. Well, I mean, John Gruden seems content to pound him between the tackles over and over and over again. And he is a tough runner, man. Like I, I have no, I have no beefs with like the way he runs or anything. Like he is really tough, but in that limited role, I mean, it really in, in the PPR era, like there's a a pretty low ceiling for your fantasy value if you're not going to be more active in the passing game and um you know just getting pounded between the tackles like that for a losing team basically that that's the other thing i mean game script you're going to be pretty dependent on game script if you're used as this between the tackles guy and and the raiders aren't a team you can count on to uh be in run heavy game scripts uh on a consistent basis so Yeah. I just traded for Kenyon Drake in a best ball dynasty league. Uh, I do think there's upside there. I think he's probably going to catch more passes than Jacobs this year. And if anything happens to Jacobs, he could step in and um, be the kind of person you want to get into your weekly lineups. So I'm kind of with you. I'm, I'm, I wish Jacobs had a a different sort of profile and uh, something that would spike his value a little more, but because of the way he's been used, I do think there's value to Kenyon Drake.
1: I agree. That's why I get nervous. I get the unsettled feeling picking Josh Jacobs in round two or round three in any draft. I just do because I think Kenyon Drake is looming. And if Jalen Richard can be annoying, Kenyon Drake could be a major problem, especially if I think the Raiders are going to have some negative game script, which I certainly think they will. And the last one here Anthony Lynn has talked about Jamal Williams being an A back. Whatever that means, Pat, I have no idea. But he did sign a two-year, $6 million contract with Detroit. uh, 3.2 is guaranteed. Now, DeAndre Swift is there. We love DeAndre Swift. They've even mentioned some rumors about Todd Gurley coming in. My question is, if Jamal Williams ends up being the goal line back in Detroit, While we don't project him to be great, he is a decent pass catcher as well. He could be a guy that's out there more in the passing game than we realize. Caught 31 of 35 targets last year in Green Bay. That's decent, especially in a low opportunity. Does Jamal Williams interest you at all, or is it really Swiss backfield, and this is all bluster?
2: He does, Mike. Uh, And it's funny because he totally changed my mind in Green Bay. I thought he was kind of a stiff his first year um he really turned into a nice jack of all trades running back for them runs hard uh can catch passes blocks his tail off I mean that's we don't care about that for the fantasy game but we know coaches appreciate that so it's going to keep him on the field I do think it kind of sucks for DeAndre Swift we were hoping that he was going to see more of a workhorse role that's probably not going to be the case but I mean I guess there's still room for it to be sort of a what Alvin Kamara, Latavius Murray type setup here. So, uh, you know, if we just get Jamal Williams in the Latavius Murray role, still value for Swift and, uh, you know, possibly some value for Williams too. So let's hope it's just those two and not Todd Gurley as well.
1: Uh, Jamal Williams is a thorn in your fantasy side. I did a a magazine draft uh, for Lindy's last year and we do that early, right? It's like first week in May. And I took Aaron Jones and I handcuffed him with Jamal Williams because I did not buy A.J. Dillon as a rookie coming in. I did now with what's been on social media, you know, thigh gate with the size of the thighs there for these running backs. I mean, Dylan could be an issue this year. But I think Jamal Williams is good. I think coaches like Jamal Williams. I think they trust him in pass protection. So, yes, I think Jamal Williams is going to be a thorn in Swift's side all year. He He is a presence. He is not an afterthought on any team, right?
2: Yes, and it's uh, it's too bad that he gets so many uh, fantasy managers agitated, Jamal Williams, because he is one of the coolest, funniest guys in the yes. league. Yep. Uh, the media loves love to talk to him in Green Bay. And, uh, yeah, just unfortunate that he vexes so many fantasy managers.
1: Well, we're almost out of COVID here, Pat. On the East Coast, we're still in the mask area when you walk out. I walked in the other day, got a pizza. And I walked in without my mask and I, I started looking around as if it was the emperor's clothes. I, I, did I make a mistake? And I said, oh, I'm, I'm good. But we're starting to head out of COVID. So I'm curious, what are you looking forward to getting back to? What are some things I saw on social media with your children? Of course, you got a lot of stuff going on. What's some things that you're looking forward to doing now that uh, COVID sort of headed in the, in the rearview mirror?
2: Oh, live music for sure, Mike. Uh, we've got Summerfest coming up in uh, you know Milwaukee. Yes. I live in the yes. Chicago area, but Milwaukee is my hometown. And Summerfest is like the greatest music festival in the world. Um, they kicked it back last year. It's going to be in September. But uh, you know my, my wife and I are hoping to get up there and see the Pixies and uh, drink a lot of beer in, in mid-September. And uh, I guess the other one would be Vegas. Like uh, some yes. friends and I go... <laughs> Some buddies and I go every every February, like the week after the Super Bowl, when things have died down a little bit. And uh, smart. smart, yeah. And we, like when we went in 2019, we a couple of us had plans to come back a few months later for the draft, so we weren't that sad about leaving when our trip was over. Like, hey, we'll be back in a few months. Well, it turns out it's going to be two years between uh, trips for that, that buddy's <laughs> trip out there. So um, yeah, I, I can't wait to get back this next February.
1: Oh, that sounds great. Vegas, I, I love seeing pictures on social media. Oh my goodness, I, I can't wait. <laughs> next, let's keep things orderly on the mailbag, Pat. I'm going to give you three receiving options on teams. So these are teams that have pretty powerful receivers that are fairly close in how you know they're expected to perform and project it. I'm curious your order here. Let's start with the Rams cup and woods, of course, but I'm going to add in Tyler Higby now with Gerald Everett in Seattle, Matt Stafford's there passing offense, takes a step forward in terms of fantasy value. Let's say redraft here, PPR format. What's the order you put them in most desirable to least desirable Cooper cup, Robert Woods, Tyler Higby. So I guess in pure value
2: and where they would be drafted, I'd go woods cup and Higby in at cost and return on value. I mean, Higby, we almost might have to reverse that because we know Woods is going to be an early pick in every draft cup. Maybe goes a little later than he should. And Higby is probably going to be one of my favorite buys at tight end this year. I mean, the way he just went berserk in 2019 at the end of the season, when Gerald Everett yeah. wasn't playing, yeah. uh, now everett has gone. Now they've gotten an upgraded quarterback going from Goff to Stafford. Uh, it just seems like things are, are really teed up for, uh, Higby here. And it really hasn't affected the price. Like I, I don't think people have really reacted to that the way they should. And uh, you know, maybe his ADP will start creeping up, but right now I think he's one of the best buys Who, one of the best buys out there, if not the best at tight
1: end. Off the top of his head with no research folks, Tyler Higby, the end of 2019 from Pat, he just dropped that in there. Listen to these fantasy finishes at the tight end position. Week 13, tight end one for Higby. Week 14, tight end five for Higby. Week 15, tight end three, then tight end seven, then tight end one. That is the finish for Tyler Higby there at the end of 2019 when there was no effort. So definitely great info there from Pat. Next up, Buccaneers, Antonio Brown, full season here in Tampa Bay, defending Super Bowl champions Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown. How do you see it there in Tampa Bay? I think I'm probably
2: in the minority liking Godwin a little bit better than Evans. Maybe that's wrong. I mean, Brady did really start to look for Evans in the end zone late last year. But there were also some dud games where Evans would just get like a handful of targets. And, uh, you know, it seemed like Godwin was sort of more consistently involved. So Antonio Brown, yeah, he's third and maybe kind of a distant third, but he's still a pretty good buy. I mean, he's going like, you know, in the 40s at wide receiver in, in some of these best ball drafts. And it just seems like he's really good 10th, 11th. 11th round value for, you know, one of the best receivers of the last quarter century. So, um, you know, we, we saw him look really good late last year. So assuming he can continue to uh, you know, keep his, his personal life together uh, I, I think he's a pretty good buy for 2021.
1: And I guess it's by Tom Brady. That's what we're learning here. (laughs) How about the Vikings? Thielen and Jefferson. Low passing volume. They want to run it. And I think the Vikings can be pretty good. I like him as a bounce back candidate with over under wins. We were talking with Connor Allen last week. But Adam Thielen last year, only 74 receptions. That was 23rd among all wide receivers. That's in 15 games. In terms of receiving yards, he was 24th with 925, but he did have 14 touchdowns at the receiving position. Jefferson with a massive rookie season. Thielen or Jefferson in Minnesota?
2: Uh, Jefferson for me, and I do worry that Thielen's going to be a little overvalued with the way uh, he derived so much of his value last year from touchdowns.
1: Very fair. And the last one, this is interesting. The Ravens have talked about passing more. They mentioned today Harbaugh came out and said he wants to get the running backs involved in the passing game as well, even though they re-upped Gus Edwards there. So it looks like it's a true split with J.K. Dobbins. But with the receivers, just was disappointed with Marquise Brown. I I was really – I know he came on at the end of last year, had a a big play in overtime that saved his fantasy value in one of those games. But Marquise Brown, Mark Andrews, of course – you know, productive tight end, but just in to get the volume of some of those elite guys, Rashad Bateman, the high priced rookie, maybe it's his chance to shine. Sammy Watkins out there now with the Ravens. So how do you see this breaking down? Do you think it's an area to avoid or could somebody emerge from this group, maybe Bateman later, or even Watkins to overtake Marquise Brown, who just doesn't seem to be an alpha wide receiver to me?
2: Yeah. I, I know Marquise Brown is going to be the first receiver of that group in most drafts. I think Bateman is going to become the lead receiver there in pretty short order. I mean, Bateman's Bateman's probably going to go way too late in drafts. This is just a, a terrific prospect who uh, can play inside, he can play outside, uh, great ball skills, really good hands, good route runner, just kind of the total package. And yeah, I, like he's because of where he went, because he sort of went behind all these other receivers in the draft. Um I, I think his value is going to be pretty intriguing in redraft as kind of a late round guy who could potentially pop if he can quickly establish himself as the go to receiver there. So I like it as Bateman, Marquise Brown, then, you know, the oft injured Sammy Watkins, who's going to have a couple of spike weeks here and there somewhere, but you'll never know where they come from. Uh and then Andrews, you know, I think he's down at tight end 6 now probably behind Hawkinson and Pitts, but uh you know, he still seems to be Lamar Jackson's preferred end zone red zone target. So, um still some value there. Probably wouldn't surprise me a bit if he led them in touchdown catches. Like maybe he's the guy you take first overall in drafts from that group, maybe vault him ahead of the receivers. But then I've got Bateman, Marquise, and Watkins.
1: had an interesting question on Twitter. I don't think I've ever asked you this. In redraft leagues, Pat, the 12-team redraft, where do you like to draft from? I, I find myself, I like being at the end of the first round because I like being able to take two players there before most teams can get their second. I don't like the middle, although mathematically, I don't think it makes a difference. What is your preferred draft spot when you're in a 12-team redraft league?
2: Sometimes I actually prefer the middle, especially if it's a super flex draft, so I can kind of stay on top of the quarterback thing and not have a big run of 24 picks if I decide to bypass a, a quarterback at the end of, you know, one of those things. And then all of a sudden, like a, an entire tier or two of quarterbacks are uh, taken before I pick again. So, man. I don't know if I have a general preference, Mike. It, it kind of depends on how the first and second rounds look, and uh, I've sort of drafted all over the place in best balls right now. Like, I kind of—I have to admit—I kind of like being up there early this year and being able to get one of McCaffrey, Cook, and Camara, and Henry, uh, leaning leaning
1: top four this year. I want to ask you about the NFC East quarterbacks. The basis is this. I'm going to assume that you'll say, obviously, Dak, who was on a record-setting pace before he got injured last year, is probably the top fantasy value. But I think there's a strong discussion for the next. So I'm curious of the order here of the NFC East quarterbacks. I'm seeing Jalen Hurts getting a lot of love. And my gut reaction is we're putting a little too much on the Konami code. Are we sure Jalen Hurts is going to be a quality NFL starter? I understand that he runs. He did have the overall QB1 performance in week 15 last year against Arizona. But Daniel Jones also runs. And I know Daniel Jones has the turnovers, but he does have a weapon upgrade with Barkley coming back, Kenny Galladay. They seem to have better weapons than Philadelphia, and he runs as well, although he did fall over there before he got in the end zone, which may have some sort of uh, recency bias for people. And, of course, Ryan Fitzpatrick, who is going to air it out on a really good Washington team and is set up for potentially a career season with Terry McLaurin, with Curtis Samuel, Antonio Gibson in the backfield, McKissick. Where do you rank the quarterbacks in the NFCs from from fantasy value from, from best to worst? Curious.
2: You make a great point about Jones, and I'm surprised that more people don't have him in their top 20, especially with that running ability, the upgraded weaponry. Um, But I do still have Hertz ahead of him. I think they're going to get a lot of linemen back who they didn't have last year. I think the offense overall is going to be more functional. And like, yeah, Hertz is not proven as a passer yet and i think he's always going to have a bit of the lamar jackson thing going for him with his passing numbers he's not going to look efficient i mean when you've got your quarterback on the move all the time like throwing on the move versus throwing stationary i think it's always going to look like you're a worse passer just by virtue of being a mobile quarterback when that's kind of the point to get you out in the space and move you around um yeah, I'm pretty, I'm pretty bullish on Hertz. I have to admit, okay. like in redraft, <laughs> yeah. he sneaks into my top ten. Like he's a, a quarterback one for me. So I've got him pretty well ahead of Daniel Jones and Fitzpatrick. And I think right now I've got Jones like 19 and Fitzpatrick 21, maybe. And I love Fitz. Um, you know, it's it's great that he just plays this YOLO style and, uh, you know, has, a, might be the guy who can finally unlock Terry McLaurin. We know he's going to have some just horrible games every year. Like he is going to lay three rotten eggs or more. Uh, if he is a 16, 17 game starter, like that's just inevitable. It's going to happen. But, um, yeah, I mean, he's also probably going to have like a couple 500 yard games. So it's going to be a lot of fun. I, I tend to think just because like, You know, Fitz isn't quite the runner he used to be, and and Jones can still give you that Konami value. Uh, That's why Fitz, I guess, would be at the tail end for me.
1: That's fair. I I think the public opinion is Dak, I would say, uh, you know, either Hurts, Depending, or Fitzpatrick, and Jones, I agree with you, but I I don't think it's going to end up that way the way most people think. I agree. If you were on Fear Factor, Pat, what are two things that you'd say, you know... I don't know if this is worth the money right here. Is it heights? Is it spiders? Is it snakes? Fear factor. What would be the kryptonite for Pat Fitzmaurice?
2: Oh, man. Uh, you know, I'm I'm okay with weird things crawling on me. And height, I'm not too bad. But like anything claustrophobic where I'm in some coffin-like space, I think would just uh, be the death of me. Like, yeah, I I do not like tight spaces. I don't know what's ever going to happen if they need to give me a CAT scan for anything because I'm going to flip out when I'm in the tube.
1: I don't like that either. I had to get one for my back herniated disc once and I thought it was going to be open air and it wasn't. It was fine but like I was tense the whole time in the thing. So when I got out, I like almost fell over because my body was so stiff for being in there. It's not a fun experience. Open air. Definitely the way to go for MRIs, right? That That's not what we want. Yes. Yes. Time for redraft lightning round. I'm going to give you two players. Let's go half point PPR who you prefer at their ADP. First couple are right next to each other. So Tyler Higby, Noah fan Tyler Higby, obviously no Gerald Everett and a great offense there in LA, but Noah Fant really explosive y- athlete yards after catch questionable quarterback play could be Teddy could be drew lock. Who do you like better Higby or Fant?
2: Boy, I've got them right there together. Uh, I've got Fant just a little higher. I like Higby more at the price, mm-hmm. but, um, I do have Fant just ahead of him.
1: Next up, Kenny Galladay, big play. Rich Rebar says saturated and fat targets. He gets those big targets there in the end zone, the Des Bryant jump balls. He's in the Giants, he's on the Giants now. So switching teams, that's a concern. It's gonna have some competition for targets. Saquon, of course, is there. Or T. Higgins. T. Higgins with a great rookie season, but now Jamar Chase is there. Tyler Boyd, Joe Burrow coming back. Those guys are pretty close together. Which one do you like better?
2: I'm a little more worried about the uh, target competition for T. Higgins. So I gotta say Galladay. And uh yeah, like maybe people are gonna be worried about the quarterback with Daniel Jones, but I mean, this is a guy who blew up in five games with uh Blau at quarterback, David Blau. At the end of 2019, I mean, Galladay had, uh, 1,190 yards and 11 touchdowns that year. His yardage pace was actually higher with Blau than it was with Stafford that year. I think he was on a, a 1,267 yard pace in the five games with David Blau. So, um, yeah, for me, it's Galladay. I think people have forgotten just how uh, amazing this dude is, especially on you know any contested catch deep downfield. The guy's just money.
1: Next two are not close together. Right now, Brandon Ayuk is wide receiver 27 on underdog and Devontae Parker's wide receiver 51. I understand that there's questions and competition for Parker seems to be a big discount, but listen, I'm not sure that Debo Samuel is definitely a wide receiver. One put out on Twitter the other day is two receiving yards. I think it was two, at uh, two total air yards the entire season. Cause he was catching passes behind the line of scrimmage. Ayuk at wide receiver 27 or Parker at wide receiver 51.
2: I got to go with Ayuk even at their relative cost. I mean, that's kind of the thing. They use Debo in that weird way. So Ayuk is going to be the the king of downfield targets for them. So, um, you know, what we saw Ayuk do last year, I know a lot of it was with either uh, Debo or Kittle or both out of the picture. But, uh, man, I mean, he just looked like a, a future wide receiver one. And, uh, you know, even though the target competition's a little scary, i, I got to take him at that
1: cost. And I could be the wide receiver one. And Devontae Parker, that may not have been a breakout season, Pat, for Devontae Parker. It may have been a contract season is what he may have done there in Miami. And last one, better veteran option, veteran guys here who are sort of in, in an ambiguous backfield, Rojo, my love from last year, who actually performed pretty decently in Tampa Bay. it has got to compete with Fournette. Uh or James Connor in Arizona, who of course is dealing with Chase Edmonds.
2: Uh Rojo, uh better offense. Like you said, he was uh Pretty terrific before Fournette sort of took over that backfield late. Although, go back and look at Rojo's game logs. He actually had more work down the stretch and in the playoffs than people remember. And, you know, if if Sean Siegel is not going to give up on Rojo, then I'm not going to give up on Rojo either. So,
1: Yeah, but Sean speaks. We listen like EF Hutton. Is there a late-round rookie pick? So in your dynasty drafts, a rookie pick, let's say, Round three or later, someone you think can make a huge impact this year, may not be right away, maybe it is, or second half of the year, sort of a rookie that should be on the radar would be available, let's say, late in redraft, but in dynasty leagues, a third round or after rookie pick that you think could make an impact this year?
2: I did more dynasty rookie drafts this year than ever before, and the one guy I came away with in more drafts than any other was Ramondre Stevenson. And, uh, you know, typically like end of the third round, fourth round, usually, uh, the price started creeping up later in some of my later, uh, dynasty rookie drafts, but, uh, Thor Nystrom, who had, I had on my show, the, uh, great NBC sports edge draft analyst, Matt Waldman, my colleague at football guys who, uh, has made some pretty bold calls about running backs in the past and, uh, like has really hit on some of them. They both really like Stevenson a lot. He's this big dude who, uh, you know, going to the Patriots, people are going to think LeGarrette Blunt, but this guy can actually catch passes and uh, like really nimble feet. I think he had one of the highest elusive ratings in this class. Um, so really kind of an interesting guy. And like there's, you know, James White's still there. Uh, you know, Ramondre Stevenson's not going to be a third down guy, but really only Damian Harris and then like Sony Michelle, who a lot of people think is going to get cut or traded. So, um, kind of an open situation would not surprise me if he wound up in a goal line role. And, uh, you know, a, a big dude who can catch passes, sort of an arbitrage Najee Harris uh, at a much, much cheaper price. Yeah, I really like him as a, kind of a flyer.
1: That's a great one. That's Sony Michelle pick in the first round of 2018, not looking good for Belichick and the Patriots. Pat, time flew by here. Last question, that I'll get you out of here. I want the Pat Fitzmaurice bowl prediction. I want to know, give me something that you think is is within the realm, maybe in the upper or lower quartile here of happening, but you think it could happen. Give me the Pat Fitzmaurice bowl prediction for the 2021 fantasy football season. Well, I wasn't able to uh, draft him in rookie drafts as
2: much as Ramondre Stevenson, but uh, I'm all in on Trevor Lawrence. Even for redraft, I think he's going to be terrific this year, and I'll say he's going to be a top five redraft quarterback. I mean, he had 17 touchdown runs in his last two seasons at Clemson. Like, he's got a little Konami code to him, believe it or not, because he's this big, Mm -hmm. lanky guy. You don't think of him as a running quarterback, but, uh, you know, he, he kind of is. And uh, we know he's a hell of a passer. So I think it's going to be a really sneaky, good rookie year for Trevor Lawrence.
1: Excellent call. If you like Jalen Hurts with the Konami code, you have to like Trevor Lawrence. Folks, Pat Morris look him up anywhere you want. He's one of the best rankers around. Footballgirl.com, now with football guys as well. Just one of the best in the business for a long, long time and just a great, great person. Follow him on Twitter at Fitz underscore FF. Pat, it is always a pleasure. We could do this for three more hours, but I would only ch- do that for you if I give you a margarita, my friend. So we'll take a rain check. Thank you so much for joining us here on The Mailbag. Thanks for having me, Mike.